the reading Daryl read is brilliant. But the problem we've got is we all wear spectacles, as some of you have heard me say before. Now, I know you're sat there and going, you're wearing the spectacles, Steve, not us. The great news about my kind of spectacles is I can take them off. And when I take them off, I see the world as it really is. It's when I put them on that the lenses filter reality. They distort reality. They change reality. And if you're wearing those kind of glasses that are tinted, they even color reality. They determine what you can see and what you can't see. We all wear cultural spectacles on the inside of our heads. And the cultural spectacles we wear determine what we can see and what we can't see. And we all think we're reading the same thing or listening to the same story, for instance, but we're actually hearing different things. The problem with the reading that Daryl read isn't the way that he read it. It's, he read it, thank you, Daryl, he read it brilliantly. <laughs> the problem is that the spectacles we wear on the inside of our heads that half the time we don't even know are there and we certainly can't take off distort what we hear. So... We hear that people who um, go to orgies and have selfish ambition and are lustful and uh, etc. and have been involved in sexual immorality one way or the other, sleeping around, you know, etc., cannot inherit God's kingdom. Doesn't Paul mean? It's Paul that wrote it. They're all going to go straight to hell and burn forever. You can't inherit God's kingdom if you lie and cheat and you're, if you're deceptive. You're going to go to hell forever. That's not what Paul said. It's what we think he's saying because we've got glasses rammed on the inside of our heads. The kingdom of God, as Paul refers to, which is equally called the kingdom of heaven in uh, other bits of the New Testament, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven, uh, are exchangeable for one another. The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven isn't a place you're going to go to beyond Mercury when you snuff it. Christians are all fixated with, when I die, will I go to heaven? This is not a question that the Bible addresses. It is a question that um, Michelangelo painted on the wall of the Sistine Chapel in medieval Europe and has transfixed us ever since. What Paul is talking about when he talks about the kingdom of God isn't some other place up in the sky when you're dead, friend. It's a dimension of life right here and now. The other week I talked about this. I talked about the fact that we live in three dimensions, depth and height and breadth. But we know that we live in four dimensions because there's a dimension that you can't see and touch. It's called time. We live in time. A bit later on, we're all going to head off out there, get coffee. Then a team are going to transform, push all the chairs back, set up some tables, and then we're all going to come back and celebrate Rose's birthday with us. A free lunch. (laughs) So that's the dimension of time. But what the Bible insists, remember these are Hebrew thinkers, not Greek thinkers, which is a strange thing for me to say. It just means that they're Eastern thinkers not Western thinkers. They thought differently, much more in line with African thinking than European thinking, actually. But the truth is that they all know that there's another dimension to life. It's the spiritual dimension. The kingdom of God isn't a place beyond the planets. It's a dimension of life 
that I can, you can enjoy here and now. In, an, in as far as my life, through the habits I work at, is a life where I surrender myself to others, where I give rather than wanting to receive, where I learn generosity. In as far as my life is that life, I inherit, live in, enjoy God's dimension, the kingdom of heaven. In as far as I put others down and I'm deceitful and I use others for sexual gratification here and there, in that sense, I'm not living in God's dimension. It's a choice we all face every day. It's a choice you're going to face later today. It's a choice you face this afternoon. How do we live well? Because as far as we, in as far as we live well, we live inside God's dimension. In as far as we abandon that, we negate, neglect God's dimension. That's what Paul's writing about. It's interesting that Paul says there's only one rule that sums up the whole law. He's talking about everything else he writes about. He writes a lot about law. Daryl read it. The one principle that sums up all the law is love your neighbor as you love yourself. And all the habits that Paul says will destroy you are driven out of loving yourself and using others. And all the habits that enhance us come out of giving ourselves to others. That's what it's about. Now, we um, are four weeks through our uh, little series on our five eyes. In week one, we talked about interdependence with one another. In week two, about influence through service. In week three, we looked at last week, we looked at inclusion, <coughs> the inclusion of all. This week, we're thinking about involvement. And next week, on our uh, Partnership Sunday, we're going to look at intimacy with God. So this week, we're looking at involvement in society, one of the five values of this church. Involvement in society. We believe, it tells us on our website, has done for years, we believe that we're invited to partner with God in bringing hope and transformation to all. Our task is to work for this in our own community and for society as a whole, to help create just and compassionate social, economical, uh, economic and political structures for the planet and for all its people. Involvement. But involvement begins with me. It begins with who we are. Um, you really should uh, watch, uh, listen to Tom on Tuesday on Radio 2. All of this, uh, Tom's involvement uh, with Radio 4, Radio 2, tons of other uh, things come out of what we've been working together on for a long time. It's called Oasis Inspire. 
Um, it's our big, huge peace project where some of us have been planning for about two years and now hundreds and hundreds of schools are involved in this around the country. It's uh, taking place at the beginning of November on November the, uh, the 9th. We're going to run two big events, one in Southwark Cathedral, three big events, one in Southwark Cathedral, one in St. George's Cathedral and one in uh, St. George's Church uh, in Borough. And uh, they're each going to be packed with hundreds of young people from local schools. There's going to be a giant event in St. Paul's Cathedral um, there for 1,500 kids, all sold out, not sold out, tickets are given away. Uh, they're going to drop. Um, they're going to drop doves from the from the dome at Coventry Cathedral, um, Finsbury Park Mosque um, at, in Belfast. There's huge celebration, which is about making peace between young Catholics and Protestants. That city with those huge walls that go up right through it. In Scotland, in Wales, things are happening all over the country. There are poetry competitions, and competitions, and music competitions, and dancing competitions, etc., etc. And uh, uh, the, the BBC are going to cover this on telly and on radio in endless ways. It's as we've sought to take a value that we have about peace building. Love your neighbour as you love yourself, and uh, and spread it out. So that's and and so Tom's broadcasting is part of that, which is absolutely fantastic. Tom's a, an incredible ambassador uh, for all of that. So this involvement. It starts with us. I was doing a ton of um, <laughs> uh, 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 BBC interviews this morning uh, as well um, around the country. I sat in um, Radio 2 here and uh, just did these. And I kept saying the same thing because you do one interview for about five minutes, then you, d you do the next station, then you do the next station, then you do it, and it goes on and on and on. So, um, so I kept saying, look, peace doesn't come because we've all long learned to sing imagine and sway that's just a slightly less outdated way of doing it than singing come by R we don't make peace by singing come by R and we don't make peace by teaching kids in school to sway to imagine we make peace as we give people the tools to live peacefully to manage their own disruption and chaos, to deal with that. Little delving into um, a bit of educational theory. I'm aware there are many educationists in this room more able to do this than I am. But you only have, well, your brain's very complex, um, of course. And it's a muscle. It's just like your bicep. The more you use it, the more efficient and the better it gets. The less you use it or neglect it, the more it withers. Your brain is a muscle. You know, I'm looking at John. John's 91. John is a great example of someone who uses his brain. If you use your brain, you grow every day. You never stop growing and your brain never stops changing. If you sit in front of a television screen, endlessly doing nothing, your brain shrinks. It shrinks. You become a shallower version of yourself. I'm not picking, you know, there's great television programs, aren't they? And, uh, you know, exactly. There are. There are great television programs. But you get the point, don't you? If you use it, it grows. If you, if you don't use it, you lose it. You lose it. Which is why as life goes on, people kind of give up. You know, they kind of, they say, oh, you know, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. You know, you take me as you find me. You know, it's me. It's the way I am. If it's the way you are, tough. Bad 
news. But if you're going to inherit the kingdom of God, the dimension of God, get growing. Get learning to love and lay down your life and give yourself. Do you, do, do you see how that, that... I'm talking to me, not you. I'm not trying to preach at you. I'm saying, Steve Chalk, you've got a long way to go on this. Keep learning. But what happens in your brain? There's your brain, uh, your, uh, your, your brain stem, and uh, that's the oldest part of a human brain. I don't know if you know that's the oldest part. So everything that's a kind of animal inside you begins in your brain stem. And then there's something called the limbic structure. And your limbic structure is, the, is where your emotions coming out of these kind of drives whirl around and swell up. And then there's something called your prefrontal cortex. And your prefrontal cortex, it's, honestly, it's true, just check it all out, manages your emotions. Okay? You manage. So you know that thing where you're, oh, you're really angry. You know, yeah. But your prefrontal cortex, as it grows, it manages your emotions. The problem is that unless your prefrontal cortex learns to manage your emotions, you're one of those people, oh, yeah, he lost it. He flipped. He switched. She switched. She flipped. Now, we see this with kids all the time. Because if you're not loved, if you're not cared for, if you're not given attention... If you're not given those things, you don't learn how to... Your brain cannot learn to manage. Isn't it strange that we look at a little five-year-old kid who's, who's neglected, a 10-year-old kid who's neglected, a 12-year-old kid who's neglected and, we, and, and whose behavior is bad and we feel sorry for them and compassionate for them and we, we, charities even take their picture and they may raise money on the back of their story, give to us, we help with little kids like this, give to us, and everybody gives money. That kid's 12. But six years later, at 18, when they behave badly, throw them in prison and lock them up forever and get rid of the key. What is wrong with us that we're that schizophrenic? That we don't understand that the 18-year-old is the 5-year-old, is the 12-year-old who was never loved, never touched with care, and their prefrontal cortex hasn't developed. Now, we know all this now. We know it. We're smarter than we used to be just because we've learned. So what Paul's talking about is really important. We need to practice the good stuff that gives us good management skills of ourselves. World peace is the same as domestic peace. At home peace. Who puts a person who can't manage their own personal relationships in charge of a country? Because it's the same thing, do you see? It's exactly the same thing. There is no personal and public. It's how I behave. And if I have chaos going on inside me and I've not, my brain hasn't developed to be able to manage my moods, then that's who I am. That's why... What Daryl read is so important. Can't you see that in the 20th century, in 2018, we're clearer about what all this means than we ever were. Put away all this stuff which is born out of self, self-interest. It's destructive, Paul says. There's only one rule. Love your neighbor the way you love yourself. Because if you live like this, And through your life, others learn this. 
you inherit the kingdom of God. This dimension of life that you seek for and you long for. Here's this guy. Probably never heard of him or seen him before. His name's Trevor. Um, in actual fact, Trevor died 20 years ago. Um, I want to tell you the story of Trevor. Trevor um, uh, grew up here, English. Um, eventually, he became the Bishop of Stepney. Um, his surname was Huddleston, Trevor Huddleston. Anyway, when he was a young man, um, he trained, he went to theological college, and he decided to go to South Africa. And uh, he ended up uh, working in Johannesburg in the early 1940s. In the early 1940s, um, apartheid, of course, rules. The African folk story, getting back to that. Apartheid rules. Now, when any system rules your country, you know, part of the, your spectacles, part of your what you can't see that's going on unconsciously, but you don't see it and you don't understand it, in the apartheid system of South Africa, what used to happen always is when a person of colour or a black person passed a person who was white on the street, what used to have to happen always, and it was kind of unconscious because everyone did it, it's just part of the structural uh, prejudice, bias, discrimination built into society. What used to happen is, the, is the, the black person used to have to step off the, the uh, pavement into the gutter. Now, you can imagine Johannesburg in the 40s, um, sanitation being what it was, the gutters weren't good. So, white person walking down the street, black person coming the other way, the, the black person has to step into the gutter and then they have to bow to the white person as the white person goes on their way. Everyone did it. One day, Trevor is walking down the road. He, um, he's, um, he's heading this way and he's going to turn left. What he doesn't know is there's a mother, a black mother, with her young seven-year-old son coming the other way. They're going to meet at the corner. She's walking with her seven-year-old son towards this corner to turn right. He's walking this way to turn left. But they can't see each other. At the last moment, this black mum with a young seven-year-old son who can't even afford a pair of shoes turn the corner and they bump into this white man who's coming the other way. He has no time to think, no time to reflect, no time to decide. It's all at that moment for them all, all three, about intuition, instinct, what's actually in there as a habit. And this is what happened. The black mother and her little seven-year-old son turn the corner. The white man, him, is coming the other way. And without a moment to reflect, Trevor Huddleston, who was wearing a hat on that day, stepped off the pavement into the gutter, into the crap, took off his hat, bowed, and said to this mum and her son, good morning. It so happened 
that 23 years later, Desmond Tutu was given the Nobel Peace Prize in 1984. And when Desmond stood up to receive the Peace Prize, he told his story and he said, my life was changed the day I went round a corner with my mum. I was wearing no shoes. I was seven. I was black. And we were confronted at the last minute by a white man. And the white man stepped off the pavement into the gutter, took off his hat, bowed, and said, good morning. Tutu said, this wasn't a moment in my life. It was the moment. In fact, I'm sure you can go online and listen to Desmond talking about this moment. It was the moment that changed my whole life. Because, he said, I realized that this man couldn't prepare. It wasn't something he thought through at that moment. It was an ingrained, inbred habit inside him that just flowed out of him. That's what Paul is talking about. As we talk about involvement in the world on a global scale, on a national scale, on a civic scale, on a local scale, in a community scale, at a family scale, we're talking about the same thing. In a world crammed full of words and promises that are broken constantly, all that matters is who I am, who I actually am, who I am all of the time. Um, we've got this, we just listened to a really strange story, didn't we? You know, an African, well actually it's a Zulu story. It's a, a Zulu story from the Zulu people of South Africa and it's an ancient legend. And you think, whoa, I'm listening to all this, this ugly kid with, you know, slime and, you know, snot everywhere and only one nostril that's working and all that. Oh, that's a weird one and a, a big hole that they fall down and oh, that's really weird. Let me tell you another weird story. There was a man and he got really lonely, so his God ripped out some ribs and the ribs became a woman. And then they were in this garden and they were naked, so there was this snake. It was okay, because the snake was a talking snake, very fortunately. And this talking snake comes up to them and says, I'll bet you fancy the fruit on that tree, and uh, why don't you have some? So the woman grabs some fruit, and because the woman grabs some fruit, uh, they're all cursed and because they're cursed they have to get fig leaves and they put these fig leaves on take off your spectacles for a moment and you recognize that that story is at least as weird as the one we just listened to and they both have everything in common they are true they're not true because they happened historically neither of them they're true because they speak to us of great truths. They speak to us about the corruption of ourselves. And they speak to us about 
the desire to live differently. They're great truths. They're prehistory, as the scholars would call them. They're great truths. They're great parables on which we can build. Trevor Huzzleston and Desmond Tutu are built on those stories, and they become part of their lives. Um, Oasis um, has, Oasis education philosophy, something we never talk about here actually, but Oasis educational philosophy is based on three words, just three, and one of them is this word, uh, Hebrew word rabbi, there's two others, yada and shalom, shalom you've probably heard of, yada, probably not, yada, 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 Um, you know, um, so uh, I won't explain what yada is right now, but um, uh, yada is, uh, there's rabbi, yada and shalom. Uh, the first word of uh, so all our teachers working in our schools, the underpinning of all our ethos, everything, everywhere, at a much deeper level than anything else, we spend quite a lot of time talking about as we talk about education essentially, is pinned to these through, word, through three words. And the first word is rabbi, which we think is a Jewish name for teacher. Do you know? Jesus was a rabbi, it means teacher. Yeah, yeah it does if you're only going to kind of shallowly buzz around the top. Um, it means my teacher, but dig deeper, it means my mentor, but dig a bit deeper, it means my guide, but dig a bit deeper, it means my model, but dig really deep, it means my example. My example, which is a lot more than being a teacher. Being a great maths teacher, you know, is you teach great maths. Being my example means you live a great life. Big difference, isn't it? You live a life that's worth copying. Of course, every teacher, and we are all teachers, not teachers. I always think it's funny, if you don't mind me saying, um, because we run so many schools, we have teachers and we have non-teaching staff. And I always think, what a stupid thing that is. I realize, of course, that um, it's just a piece of, you know, educational dogma. But um, do you know, so Pumi's part of, uh, 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 there's Alice up there, who's on the teaching staff of South Bank, and there's Pumi, who's non-teaching staff, and probably Ben's around, he's been around, he's, he was here, he's probably gone out looking after, after Noah, um, he's on the non-teaching staff, tell me the difference between Alice and Pumi, to Pumi's every much a bit of the teaching staff as Alice is, as Alice knows, and Alice would never actually believe all this stuff, we're all teaching, as Pumi walks into that school every morning as with those kids, or I see you, Pumi, round the coffee shop um, chatting with some, some kid, listening to their story, is that teaching? It is by this definition. It might not be by some shallow DFE definition that's all going to change in two years' time anyway. Do you see? That's why we're committed to being rabbis, not teachers, because we know a rabbi is different to being a teacher. It's about being a model and an example. Now, I need to be a model and an example. So do you. Because who we are matters. Who you encounter me as, you will judge the whole of Oasis Church by, won't you? If someone wanders in here and, you know, I'm in a bad mood and I, you know, they're going to say, huh, that Oasis Church. We are walking, living examples of all of this stuff. What I'm really saying is, Abstract concepts are only understood through concrete examples. I'm either it or I'm not it. Now, I want to tell you something about me. Cornelia's my wife is up there. She, on my, so I can see Abby, one of our daughters, sat beside her. So they tell you there's a frigging big gap between what I aspire to be than, and what I actually am for two reasons that I can think of. Um, Cornelia can probably think of more. But... <laughs> 
There are two reasons why there's a gap between what I aspire to be and what I am. Some of it's my own deliberate, obstinate fault that sometimes I want my own way. Do you know? And then there's another reason for a gap between what I aspire to be and what I am, and it's called mistakes. It's called the gap that, oh, I didn't think of that. I wish I'd have thought of that. I did. Oh, so there's some of it which is to do with my, you know, thickness, and some of it to do with my selfishness. So there's a gap between what we aspire to be and what we are, but there's always a goal to aim at. Leadership is not a title or a position ever. Leadership's an example. It's a way of living. That's what Paul's saying. It's a way of living. And what Paul does is he says, don't live like this, live like that. And he calls it, in the reading that Daryl read, the fruit of the Spirit. In Oasis, uh, it, we have this every, every week, but we don't stop to explain it very often. On the back of your news sheet, every week, there's a piece that's written by Jill Rowe, actually. And there's, um, there, it, it tells you, um, it, it, te- it gives you some questions to reflect on through the week. They're really important to reflect on through the week. Why? Because they're all based on the fruit of the Spirit. There are nine fruit of the Spirit. Um, Paul uses nine words. And what we did nationally is we turned them into what we call Oasis Nine Habits. So you'll see them on the wall, just around here actually, in the school, Oasis Nine Habits. And you'll see them in Oasis schools and Oasis buildings and housing, housing stuff we do everywhere. Oasis Nine Habits. And the Oasis Nine Habits are really the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the reason for that is simply this. Everyone's now talking about character, aren't they? You know, perhaps because of the crisis the world's in, we've suddenly woken up. You know, when Oasis first began schools, I used to say that our education should be character-driven, and honestly, I used to go to the DFE. It wasn't called the DFE then. It was um, the Department of um, School... Uh, DFES. Yeah, cool, blow. There you go. Well done. <laughs> right? So, it, you know, every government gives it a new label and changes its it bit. But I remember sitting there then, and with this uh, gang, and I said, you know, we are... We're character-driven. And uh, uh, somebody was remi- and the, in the government was reminding me the other day that they always say it was fluffy. You know, anyone always fluffy stuff it's about. Literacy, numeracy, etc. I used to say, all the guys screwing us in the city, they passed their GCSEs. <laughs> the guys running the banks and fiddling LIBOR, you know, they all got to Oxford and Cambridge to do maths. What didn't happen was proper character formation. So they can, can't control their limbic, limbic system. D- does that make sense? Greed is greed. However smart you are, I'm not picking on um, uh, uh, bankers at all. I'm just saying I'm really not because it's in us. It's in us all. That's what I'm saying. It's in me. It's in church leaders. You know? It's, so, yeah, I'm not, that's just an example. I don't want you to go away and think, oh, Steve's against business or against banking or against maths teachers or against Oxford or against Cambridge. I think they're all fantastic. But I do, I, all I think is that unless we have character, all our competencies are worth nothing, which is what Paul is actually talking about. Uh, they, they, they get us nowhere. Character formation everybody's waking up to now isn't fluffy. I always say, to, in fact, I used to say to government then, I used to say, 
If you say all this is fluffy, tell me, is it easier to pass a science exam or to practice humility? And I used to point to 10 Downing Street, which is just around the corner. Don't tell me, I used to say, that being honest is soft. Don't tell me that it's easier to be honest than to pass maths. Maths is soft. This is as hard and as tough as it gets. Character development. And so these are the nine habits of Oasis, actually, and they, we, they filter through into the back of your news sheet um, uh, week by week, month by month. When we talk about character education, and, you know, little, another reference to education here, when we talk about um, character education and the DFE talk about it now, which they do now, it's really funny. It stopped being fluffy and it started being cool. But uh, there's another problem. The problem is this. Character... Well, what's that? You know, character education's important. Whose character? Alexander the Great, will he do? Whose character? Margaret Thatcher? Do, do you see? I'm not picking on any... I'm just saying, whose character? Like, character is a bucket, but it's empty. The question is, what character goes in it? And what Paul does in that note that he writes to his friends in Galatia is he sums up Jesus' character. He's saying, don't live like this. It's destructive and you can't inherit the kingdom of God that way. Live like this. And he sets out Jesus' character. We know that's what he's doing. He sets out Jesus' character in nine habits, nine traits. So let's look at these. And then, then I'll finish. To work at being compassionate, this is for you to do. I will make no comment except to read what I've got. To be compassionate rather than indifferent, patronizing, heartless, callous, cruel, harsh. All I ask is that you identify those areas that you think there might be a smidgen's work to do on. I'm looking at the screen as well. It's about me. To be patient rather than restless, short-tempered, unpredictable, inflexible, quarrelsome, impatient. To be humble rather than proud, arrogant, needing to be right all the time and prove it egotistical, pushy, boastful. To be, hum to, to be humble. Oh, did I done that? To be joyful rather than irritable, touchy, moody, tight-fisted, negative, or angry. To be honest rather than deceptive, untrustworthy, disloyal, deceitful, devious, or sly. To be hopeful, rather than pessimistic, mocking. Huh, we tried all that. 
10 years ago and it didn't work then and it won't work now. Sour. Suspicious. Discouraging. You might think that's a good idea, but I know a bit better. Or cynical. To be considerate rather than thoughtless, rigid, insensitive, conceited, self-serving, or unreliable. To be forgiving rather than intolerant, bitter, vengeful, vicious, superior, or spiteful. And then the last of Paul's character traits of Jesus, to be self-controlled rather than impulsive, rash, unrestrained, unfeeling, reckless, or careless. Tell me that that's easy. Tell me that it's fluffy. Tell me that it's soft. This is hard, and it will take your whole life. And you'll constantly be climbing and constantly in deficit, but constantly inspired. What does it mean to follow Jesus? Does it mean to believe a load of blithering stuff out there somewhere and use it as a weapon on someone else? Well, what I believe about the Holy Spirit is this. Well, what you believe about prayer is that. Well, what I believe about rights is this. No, it means this. This is to follow Jesus. Influence is going to come as we learn this. Involvement comes as we're involved and people see this in us. So here's Trevor Huzzleston. And I put it to you that this man changed the history of the world without even knowing it. We're going to go have coffee. Then we're going to have lunch. Then I guess you're going to go home. And tomorrow morning you're going to go to an office or something somewhere or you're going to get on a bus or you're going to meet at school gates. You have no idea when your Trevor Huddleston moment is coming. You will never know when it's been and gone. One way or t'other. But the person who looked at you, who saw you, who you smiled at, who you put your arm around, who you said good morning to you, uh, good morning to, who you acknowledged, the receptionist, the shop assistant, I don't know, I'm just guessing. That can change their life. Our task is to live with this hand that's open. That is what it means to follow Jesus. That is what it is to be a Christian. Let's pray. Father, we give ourselves to follow you again. We thank you for the example that Jesus set, the way that he lived, the way that he gave himself in service of others, for his joy, for his self-control, for his honesty, his integrity. We have chosen to follow the way of Christ. In all our involvement in life this week, privately and publicly, big scale, small scale, 
little meetings, big ones, chats over wine or coffee on a bus or on a train or in the street. We pray that that involvement might be one that brings your kingdom and your dimension. This is our prayer together. Amen.